Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 50 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is Wael, your host. And um, thank you so much for being here. <clears throat> it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege to be able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and to be able to take all your questions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com. And I promise I'll get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. And uh, with that being said, let's get right into it. Uh, of course, I would like to, again, thank all of you uh, for, you know, your participation and, and your uh, and your questions and uh, your uh, uh, generous feedback. Um, uh, we, we got to the 50th episode uh, and, and this was uh, not going to be possible uh, if it wasn't for the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you guys... Uh, so for all of you, thank you so much again, and uh, I, I love uh, adding to your knowledge in any capacity, so for that, again, thank you. Uh, today's episode, we will be discussing um, what happened to the Muslims. We, 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 last time we talked about that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi announced his prophethood. He started publicly preaching Islam, and that basically... Uh, started some sort of war now now this is uh, this is uh, this is different from before this is different from the private uh, da'wah or the private preaching of islam this became public and 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 this um, uh, could cause uh, or basically would cause uh, uh, serious uh, political economical you know religious issues for the people of quraish for the people of mecca so of course they had to respond now. Now now they are allowed. Now now it's public, so now they are allowed to, you know, respond ag aggressively in public. But here was the strategy. Let me tell you the strategy uh, uh, of of the people of Quraysh in terms of like persecuting the the early Muslims, persecuting the Prophet sallallahu and, and you know torturing them whether mentally or physically. So uh, number 1, it took stages, meaning they started by trying to convince the Prophet ﷺ not to do this. Uh, and we'll talk about all these stages, but like I just want to, you know, lay lay out the this the, the, the their their plan, their strategy and how how you know how they proceeded with it. Um, and so they basically said, well, we'll, we'll it started with verbal uh, uh, kind of soft threatening, uh, 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 not direct threatening, not, you know, um, so they were softly threatening the, the, the uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu we'll talk about him in a little bit, uh, so the Prophet Sallallahu would, you know, back off a little bit uh, and stop preaching Islam, and then it became, uh, uh, it went, it started the, those threats started becoming actions and they started you know their actions started to get they were soft at, at the beginning but then uh, they were like you know a little bit of trivial actions and then uh, their their aggressiveness started to increase and 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 literally it went really dark and we'll talk about how how bad it got and it got really bad uh but that's on in terms of like the response now the demographic that they were addressing now we have muslims we have new muslims here how are we going to deal with them well unfortunately all the like all the early muslims back then were not the same meaning some of them was uh, of a lower class 
and th- those were the easy target. They could have done whatever they they could do whatever they want with them. They could physically torture them. They could verbally and and physically and 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 men- they could do whatever they want with them since they are from the lower class. And usually the people from the lower class class are not from Quraysh. Quraysh, like we said, it's the elite of of of, of Mecca. The the highest of 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 the status of the people are from Quraysh, right? So the Prophet ﷺ was from the elite, his family, not himself. His family was from Banu Hashim, uh, uh, and they, they they know that they couldn't harm him like physically, you know. They could verbally uh, harm him, but they couldn't harm him physically. So and Abu Bakr was also from the wealthy and, and the most respected people in Mecca. So they couldn't touch certain Muslims, and that was for a certain wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, uh, that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ha- had. And also... Uh, th- those who were slaves and those who were from from lower class, they would easily get you know abused and, and tortured. So that was the strategy. They went to the, the, the they first went to the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. Just a little bit about the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, and this is a very famous name. Uh, his name is Abu Talib. Abu Talib uh, was the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. Nobody, the Prophet ﷺ loved nobody more than Abu Talib. Just to let you know, the Prophet ﷺ loved no one the way he loved Abu Talib, his uncle. The reason why, because the Prophet ﷺ, when he was young, his parents died. His dad passed away before the birth, and then his mom passed away after. And then uh, his uh, his grandfather uh, raised him, and then his grandfather passed away, Abdul Muttalib. So, and then his uncle, which is Abu Talib, took him in and treated him more than you know, uh, better than he treated his own children. Right. So they were they had this bond of a father and a son kind of bond, and it was unbreakable basically. And and he loved him so much. Uh, um, so uh, I, actually I think Abu Talib died when the Prophet ﷺ was like 50, 50 something years old so he lived a long life under the care of Abu Talib you have to understand that and people know that uh, people of Mecca knew that so they went to talk to uh, Abu Talib and, and, and they basically told him hey man listen talk to your nephew Tell him to stop this because this is going to cause huge problems for you, for us, for himself. It's it's going to be a serious problem. He's, you know, uh, uh, going into a very dangerous territory here. So just talk to him. So there was a lot of pressure on Abu Talib. And... Uh, uh, of course, Abu Talib went to talk to his nephew. Abu Talib was a very prestigious man. He was, you know, he, he had a high status in, 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 in among the people of Mecca. So he went and talked to his nephew. And his ne- he basically said, listen, man, you're doing a lot of problems. You're causing you, you you're going to cause me problems. You know, I'm an old man. I can't handle this. And, and he was trying to appeal to him, you know. But the Prophet wasallam was like, I can't do this. I just can't. This is the religion of Allah, and 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 this is one of the the things recorded in in the books of of of, uh, of, of Sirah, that uh, of the biography of the Prophet Sallallahu that the, he said, if they gave if they gave me the sun in my hand, which is a metaphor, <clears throat> if they gave me the sun of my hand in my hand, I would never give up the religion of Allah. I would never give up preaching the religion of Allah. This is it's not worth it, no matter what they promise. Whether something good or something bad, I do not care. So when Abu Talib saw, you know, the persistence of in, in his nephew, so he basically gave him a promise. He said, you know what? Keep doing what you're doing. And it shows you the relationship and it shows you that Abu Talib knows his nephew. He knows that he's not, 
you know, backing off. He's not going to, you know, uh, give up. So he said, do whatever you please. And I promise you, I'm not going to come to you again and tell you uh, to, you know, give up uh, the religion. So the, Abu Talib went back to them and he told them and then they got mad and they got upset. And then they said, you know, you don't want to do this. And then now they started, you see the tone now shifted from, hey, let, let him back off to a little bit to now. Like it's, it's basically threatening. You don't want to do this. You don't want to stand against all of the people of Mecca. But Abu Talib didn't care. He said, do as you please. This is my nephew and I will support him. Now, uh, just just to let you know, Abu Talib never became a Muslim until the day he died. He never converted to Islam. He never became a Muslim. So they were like, okay then, let's let's you know, let's try to do something else. And the leader who led the attack was none other than Abu Jahl, the infamous Abu Jahl that many of those who grew up uh, as Muslims know about. Basically, the Prophet ﷺ called him the Pharaoh of the Muslims, meaning what? You know the story of Moses and the Pharaoh and how the Pharaoh was ruthless and a, a, a huge disbeliever and tortured all the Jews? Abu Jahl is the same. He is technically the same as the Pharaoh of, of, of Moses. He is the Pharaoh of the Muslims as well. He was targeting the Muslims the same way the Pharaoh was doing. And he is the worst, the worst enemy of the Prophet. Now, th 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 he, they started coming up with tactics like, for example, you, you when the Prophet, whenever the Prophet would you know recite Quran by Kaaba, you know the Kaaba, right? So the Kaaba is the black, the big black cube that the Muslims do the Hajj, uh, go around, walk around uh, during the pilgrimage. You can see this on YouTube if you guys are not familiar with it. And and this is basically, uh, the significance of this is this, it's a holy space, nothing in it. There's nothing in it. It's just a holy, we, we call it the house of Allah, but it, technically Allah does not live there. Of course, Allah is sitting on his throne like we talk, we discussed before. But this is just a symbolic house of Allah. Right above it, in the seventh heaven, is in the seventh heaven, right above that cube, the Kaaba, that's what, what it's called, the, the, the Kaaba, the cube, is something called the Bayt al-Ma'mur, another house, another cube, where the angels do the same thing. They do pilgrimage, they do tawaf, they do hajj in the seventh heaven. Uh, so that's basically the, the, that's that. Now, uh, again, uh, who, uh, the Allah Subhanahu wa Taala inspired Ibrahim to start the, the, the rituals of Hajj. So that was in the time of Abraham, and then the, the 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 Arabs they followed the same the same ritual, but now they added the whole idolatry and you know uh, paganism part of it, like we discussed before. So now, uh, so the Prophet ﷺ would stand next to the Kaaba, to that cube, right, and recite Quran, and then they would just shout and yell and keep, you know, raising their voices to block the Prophet ﷺ from reciting Quran, to, you know, uh, to basically overcome him, to not make his voice uh, clear to the rest. And they would actually stop people from listening. They wouldn't actually, you know, if somebody stops and listens, they would yell at them and they would tell them to, you know, continue walking and, and, and so forth. Um, and yeah, so that was, uh, that, that's how it started. Now we, we, we were seeing the, the stages now, the evolution of the persecution started with, uh, please don't to a soft threatening to an official threatening. And now they're basically straight up verbally, uh, uh, uh abusing the Prophet uh, uh, and, 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 you know, by actions without any physical harm, we'll get to the physical harm in a little bit now. 
they would also stand uh, at the gates of, of, of Mecca uh, and when people come for you know trading and going to visit the Kaaba you know to do the Hajj they would actually tell them hey there is a madman inside don't don't go there he he he's talking gibberish so just block your ears because he's uh, he would cast a spell on your ear and he will make you you know mesmerized when you hear what he has to say but he's a crazy man don't pay attention to him and of course ironically subhanallah that actually led to some people embracing islam they became muslims because of curiosity when somebody comes and tells you, hey, don't listen to this guy as a weird talking and just, just block your ears. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. What happens? You would want to listen to them. And this was out of curiosity, of course. You know, subhanAllah, nowadays, a lot of people becoming Muslims, it was because of curiosity. Uh, you know, Islam is being attacked in, in many, many countries, in many lands. So people are like, I want to know what this, this, this whole religion is about. Why is it so controversial, right? And then when they read upon Islam, they are completely, completely uh, uh, engaged and, and they're synced in and they completely believe. I mean, and we're talking about those who actually have an open mind and they, you know, uh, reading the, from the correct uh, sources. They believe that this is the right religion. Oh my God, this makes so much sense, right? This is very logical. And they become Muslims. Ironically, it's because of the propaganda. You know, Allah, the Prophet ﷺ tells us in an authentic hadith, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make Islam spread using those who hate Islam, using a disbeliever. kafir. Like the, the, the disbeliever could spread the Islam. You know, when people say certain things about Islam, other people are curious. Let me read upon Islam, and then they get shocked by the reality of Islam, right? So that's basically uh, how it became. And some some people started embracing Islam by actually listening to the Prophet ﷺ, listening to his words, uh, having a conversation with him, and he's explaining to them that Allah's one idols and you know false gods won't do you any good, and he would tell them what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is uh, sending them or pre, you know uh, offering them when it comes to uh, his final religion so that was that also <clears throat> uh, uh, one of the situations is for for a certain time uh, there was no revelation coming down to the prophet so there was no revelation for for a certain amount of time and that happens once in a while so people started making fun of the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca. They were like, oh. Now, how did they know uh, that he that the revelation stopped? Because the Prophet ﷺ, whenever there is a new verse that comes down or a couple of verses that came down to him, he would go recite them in Mecca. So for a while, he stopped. So when they saw that he stopped, they were like, oh, you have been abandoned. Your shaitan, your devil abandoned you. Astaghfirullah. Uh, but that's what they would say, right? Uh... Yeah, your 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 shaitan abandoned you. You've been abandoned, and the Prophet ﷺ felt a little hurt by this because now this is mental abuse. Now we're talking about you know making straight up mocking the Prophet ﷺ, making fun of him, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to that revealed the verse that we read until this day, the chapter of Duha, chapter number ninety-three. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells him in this verse. Swearing by the dawn and uh, and the night, Allah has not abandoned you. And Allah is not mad at you. Don't don't worry. And and what comes after will be better to you than what's happening to you right now. 
And Allah will give you and you will be pleased. So subhanAllah, look, Allah is addressing the Prophet and telling him, just be patient, don't worry, I'm here with you, I have not abandoned you. <clears throat> also, one of the tactics, and this is this is still in, 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 in it's not as severe of a torture yet. Uh, they started spreading lies uh, uh, about the Prophet ﷺ. They started saying he's a madman, Sahirun al majnun. He's he's a madman. He's a magician, or you know he's possessed, or he's a fortune teller. That's how he knows certain things, and everything makes sense. And none of that stuck, <laughs> because everyone knows that the Prophet ﷺ was not a madman. Everyone knew he was illiterate. How could he, you know, come up with 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 something like this? And everyone knew. He's not a magician. He doesn't do magic, you know. So even that did not stick. They they were saying it for a very long time, but that didn't stick. And you know, there's something very interesting here. They never once called him a liar. And we talked about this uh, uh, a couple of episodes ago. They never called the Prophet ﷺ a liar. Why? Because he uh, was known to not ever saying a lie he never said a lie ever before even before islam so calling him a liar would people would be like why lie now why start now right why start now well that doesn't make sense so uh, uh so that was you know uh some of the things they uh basically started uh doing they actually some of them actually started uh uh, uh publicly challenging the prophet ﷺ. they said you know what if allah comes down with the angels maybe we can believe them and of course allah did not stoop to their levels they said okay show us a clear miracle something move you know move a mountain do something so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually did something and this is mentioned in the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala split the moon in half for them and they saw it as clear as day they saw it and guess what they said uh, you, you, you're, you're a magician. You could have uh, cast a spell on our eyes. We don't know what you're. No, that's not real. Which shows you that we're never gonna believe anyway. Those who like, you know, argue and argue and argue and argue. Some argue for valid reasons and they're sincere, but some are just arguing for the sake of arguing. And this applies on Islam and stuff outside of Islam. You know, some people just argue for the sake of arguing. I know a lot of them actually. They're never going to be convinced, but they just want to argue. You know, they want to give you a hard time. So that's basically was it. And one time, actually, they told the Prophet ﷺ, you know what? Uh, if you switch that mountain, if you turn this, if Allah turns this mountain into gold, we'll believe right away. And it was the mountain of Safa, the same mountain that the Prophet ﷺ climbed on to announce his prophethood. So they said, you know what? Let him let, let Allah turn this into gold, and we'll uh, we'll follow right away. So the Prophet actually thought they were serious, so he made dua to Allah to turn the mountain in gold. So Allah sent Gabriel, angel Gabriel, to the Prophet and told him, listen, I'll do it. I will switch or turn this mountain into gold, but with one condition. If they still reject, they will be destroyed. No second chances. That's it. Game over. Because I do not play their games. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not play, play games with human beings. Allah doesn't play games with you. Those who, in our lifetime right now, they claim, oh, we won't believe in God until we see him. God is, does not play with you. God showed you enough, proved to you enough that he exists. 
it's up to you whether to reject or accept. But Allah won't play games because if everybody asks Allah to do something and Allah does it, there is a status that Allah is, you know, above that Allah wouldn't cross for our sake. Do you understand? But Allah respected us enough and respected our, gave us the intelligence enough to realize his existence, to, to realize his oneness. But unfortunately, not everybody believes. So anyway, so Allah said, I'll turn it into gold. But if they do not believe, they will be completely destroyed. And the Prophet ﷺ got worried. And he said, you know what, Allah? He was talking to Gabriel to send the message to Allah. Uh, let's keep it this way. I do not want to turn it into gold because I would rather to have more chances of, you know, turning them and making them convert to Islam than, you know, destroying them right away. And other nations were destroyed because of the same reason. Aad and Thamud, uh, Thamud they're mentioned in the Quran. Nations who straight up saw miracles happen, happening over and over, they did not believe. So Allah destroyed them completely. You don't even hear about them now. Their stories are mentioned a lot in the Quran, actually. Ad and Thamud, two giant civilizations that were completely wiped out from the face of this earth. Anyway, so the Prophet ﷺ did not accept their challenge when it came to that mountain. And he said, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cause... Uh, cause them to believe instead now uh, uh, they came to the again when they got so annoyed when they got so like desperate they went to the prophet and they offered him to be their king their ruler can you imagine this they said you know what okay maybe we we got off on the wrong foot in the first place how about this we will make you our ruler you you have to approve anything that happens in this in Mecca. But give up Islam. Do not preach. Stop preaching Islam. Once you become a ruler, you stop preaching Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ did what? Of course. He said, nope. <laughs> I'm not seeking uh, to become your, your ruler. I don't want to. I don't care. I have to finish preaching the message of Allah. So after this, now it's a dead end. So they started de depriving the lower. Now they started targeting. Now they went physical. Now it was all verbal, you know, mocking, talking from a distance. Now they moved to the, to the next stage, which is actual physical harm. Now physical torture. So they started depriving the lower class Muslims of water because they controlled the wells, right? So now if you want to go to the well to get some water and you're a lower class Muslim, You'll be like, you'll be told no. And the only way they could get water is to say that their gods, the idols, are the true gods. And to that, Muslims had to say, and by the way, this actually is a ruling in Islam. If your life is in danger and you're forced to claim something about Allah or something about the religion that's bad, you're allowed to. As a Muslim, you're allowed to, to save your life or your family's life. You are allowed to. So if somebody comes in threatening to you know, kill you or kill your family and tells you say bad things about your religion and that you're not a Muslim anymore, blah, 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 you are allowed to say <clears throat> as long as you do not believe in it and Allah forgives you. And this happened actually numerous times in, 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 in throughout uh, you know, Islamic history. Also, the lower class Muslims, the slaves, they had huge rocks put under, uh, on their chests being thrown in a desert in the heat of the sun. 
and then again the own without water no food no water nothing and then they're they're allowed to leave they're allowed to be spared if they mention or they say that the idols of um the 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 the, the idols are the true gods and again many of them broke you can't blame them again they're trying to save their lives and like we said they are completely forgiven except for one a one by the name of Bilal ibn Rabah. Bilal ibn Rabah is technically the first black Muslim. He was a slave. Well, they all were slaves. Even Arab were slaves, the, the early Muslims, right? He was from Abyssinia. And he actually refused to even pretend to not be a Muslim anymore or to pretend that he uh, is admitting uh, uh, that the idols are gods. He didn't even want to pretend. He said, nope, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of that. So, of course, of course, he was being tortured even worse than anybody else. So, the, everybody else was spared. But then they went to the extent of, like, basically dragging him across the whole city with a rope wrapped around his neck. And even during this, he used to, you know, lift his index and say, ahadun, ahad, ahadun, ahad. The word ahad means a one one Allah is one basically Allah is one Allah is one during his torture he used to do this and by the way lifting the index for those of you who know it's a very famous uh, Islamic motion that uh, basically Muslims do when they are saying testifying that Allah is one so that we do it during the salah during prayer or you could do it when you're just testifying that Allah is one or when you're making dua or or, or whatnot Bilal used to actually uh, have uh, a big rock on his chest all day long. And even one of the, uh, the, 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 the people there said that uh, if you would put raw meat on top of that rock, it would have been fully cooked. That's how hot the rock was. If you would put raw meat on top of that rock and leave it for a little bit, it would have been fully cooked. That's crazy. But it shows you the strength of Bilal's faith that he believed in Allah and he didn't care. He did not care to lose his life. Even though you're allowed and you're permitted to save your own life by pretending that you, uh, you know, acknowledging their gods. And Bilal was rewarded immensely, by the way. Uh, uh, eventually, Abu Bakr, which is the best friend of, of the Prophet ﷺ, remember we said that there are certain Muslims who were not harmed just because of their status. Abu Bakr was one of them. And he was very wealthy. And eventually, he actually uh, bought Bilal and freed him. So he bought Bilal from the owner of, the, of Bilal, the one who was torturing him. And he bought him and he actually freed him. As soon as he bought him, he made him a free man. And uh, the, 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 the interesting story about this, that uh, Bilal, uh, Abu Bakr offered a certain amount of, 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 of money, which tempted the owner uh, to buy Bilal, to stop the torture, basically. And the owner of Bilal agreed. So after Bilal was freed and, and, and Abu Bakr is taking him and walking away, uh, the owner says, uh, you know, if you paid me, this is very interesting, if you paid me way less, than what you paid me now, I would have still given him to you. So basically, he's mocking Abu Bakr. He's, he's making fun of him. He's, he's saying, you're naive. You know, like you were tricked in this in this trade. I, I, I could have taken a lot less money for Bilal. And to, to that, Abu Bakr responds and says what? 
And if you ask for a lot, a lot more money, triple, quadruple the money that I gave you for Bilal, I would have given it to you. And of course, the smile went away from the face of the owner because he thought he knew he realized he could have had a lot more money, but he didn't. So yeah, now let's go to the torture of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself now. Now they're torturing the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? Um, again, we said that the Prophet was from, you know, a higher status. His family, not him, his family was from a higher status. So you would think that would, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, make them uh, uh, unable to uh, uh, harm the Prophet but that actually was not true. And a couple of incidents were actually uh, uh, reported by Ibn Mas'ud. Ibn Mas'ud is a very... Uh, very famous companion and you, ha- you guys have to know his name because Ibn Mas'ud is the one who recited who recited the Quran the way it was revealed the Prophet ﷺ says if you want to hear the Quran as if it was revealed you hear it from Ibn Mas'ud that means Ibn Mas'ud you know when you recite the Quran there is a certain melody and everyone ha- have different melodies they're all correct you know even today's when you put the Quran on YouTube you got to find for the same verse I mean, for the same chapter, f- over 50, 60 types of melodies. And this is all allowed, as long as they don't change the text, of course. And it's called, that, that melody is called tilawa. Tilawa in Arabic means that the, 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 the rhyme or the rhythm of, of you know, uh, 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 reciting uh, the Qur'an. So there is an original tilawa. Allah, when he spoke the Qur'an to, Prophet, uh, to, to Angel Gabriel, and Angel Gabriel gave it to the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ took it as... The way Allah spoke it, because Gabriel gave it to him the way Allah spoke it, right? So the Prophet right away, over 70 chapters, gave it straight to Ibn Mas'ud to, you know, to memorize it. That's how they used to memorize it and, you know, write it down and and whatnot. So Ibn Mas'ud knows how the original, can you imagine the original rhythm of the Quran? The original melody of the Quran as if Allah spoke it. This is incredible, and of course, we don't know what what this one is because, you know, writing stay. Uh, the book itself, the Quran, is still there, alhamdulillah, as is, never edited. But the melody, how would people, you know, pass on the melody from one generation to another? You, you, it, it gets lost, but the writings are there, you know, and the actual words are there. So you you can't you can't lose that, but you lose the rhythm. We don't know which rhythm is the original, but we could only imagine that it's the perfect one. So that was a side note. So anyway, Ibn Mas'ud, that, that, that uh, Qur'an reciter, he witnessed a few incidents that happened to the Prophet ﷺ himself in Mecca while he was praying next to the Kaaba. Of them, uh, one time the Prophet ﷺ was praying and then there was uh, 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 Abu Jahl uh, went, Abu Jahl, like we said, he's the worst enemy of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, you know what? I'm going to go put my foot on the neck of Muhammad while he's praying as a, as, of a sign, as a sign of humiliation and then on his way there on his way there he actually the Prophet was prostrating right so he went to do that and all of a sudden he stopped everybody saw him like freaking out and then he ran back to his people so his people asked him like well what just happened he said look look at this I saw a pit of fire a fire pit appear out of nowhere between me and Muhammad while he's praying and I'm about to go there there's a fire pit that came out of nowhere in the ground 
and then I saw a wing or wings hovering on top of the fire. So uh, he just froze. He couldn't. He was he panicked. He was freaking out. And of course, he thought and he claimed that this is probably sorcery or you know or uh, magic. But then after that, the Prophet when he finished prayer, he went to his companions and said, because he knew about the the fire pit. He said, if if Allah subhanahu wa taala brought down a fire pit by the angels, so through the angels, so the angels brought down, hence the wings that Abu Jahl saw uh, hovering on top of the fire. And if he would have taken one more step, he would have been completely destroyed. So that fire was real; it was not imagination. It's not like Allah made a uh, made a uh, like you know uh, made him imagine it. No, that was actually real. Just people didn't see it. Only the Prophet Sallam and uh, Abu Jahl were able to see it. Another incident that the Prophet Sallam was praying and then comes in someone called Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt. He's like a, a horrible human being. A horrible human being. Uh, has no honor, no dignity, nothing, right? Uqba. Let's call him Uqba because I know the names could be difficult for you guys. So Uqba went uh, behind the Prophet Sallam while he's praying in front of the Kaaba and then took the garment of the Prophet ﷺ that he was wearing and wrapped it around his neck and started choking him. And that was technically physical now. They're trying to kill the Prophet ﷺ, plain and simple. And everybody was laughing. The Prophet ﷺ was struggling, you know, uh, 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 with, the, with, the, with the garment wrapped around his neck and everybody was just watching, not doing anything. Some of them were laughing. And somebody went to, to Abu Bakr, the best friend of the Prophet ﷺ, and told him, hey, your friend is being attacked Somebody's choking him So Abu Bakr runs And starts He comes He was close by So he runs And he Starts beating up Uqba from behind And uh, He looks at them And basically he says Would you kill a man Just for saying Allah is my Lord he looked at the people laughing and, and, and Abu Jahl and the rest and he said, you want to kill a man because he said, Allah is my Lord? This is actually mentioned in the Quran. And what's amazing about this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes Abu Bakr in the Quran. This is mentioned in the Quran. Whatever Abu Bakr said is mentioned in the Quran and Allah quotes him in the Quran. Anyway, another incident uh, that the Prophet ﷺ again was praying by the Kaaba and then Abu Jahl looks at his friends and he says who can bring me and they just slaughtered an animal they just slaughtered a camel you know sacrifice it to eat from it and give it to the gods and whatnot but the intestines and, and the stomach they were still there you know they throw it on the side so Abu Jahl said who can bring the, 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 the intestines and, and, and the, the, the stomach of, of the animal and throw it at Muhammad while he's prostrating again physical humiliation then, of course, the same horrible human being, Uqba, goes there, carries the intestines, carry you know the, the filthy stuff from the stomach of the of the camel, and as soon as the Prophet goes into prostration, goes into sujood, they throw it on his back, and it's so heavy that the Prophet can't even stand up, so he remains in sujood, asking Allah for patience and help, and someone, again, everybody's laughing. Again, everybody's, they're all pagans, they're all, they're all hate Islam, they're all laughing. So somebody runs to the daughter of the Prophet Wasallam, uh, Fatima, who was a little girl at the time, and tells her, hey, your dad is being humiliated, go, go do something. And then she runs and she cries. She's a little girl. 
and she starts yelling at them and then she starts uh, helping her dad removing the stuff off the back of of the prophet sallallahu and then when the prophet you know were, was able to stand he stood up and he looked at them and he rose his index as about as he is about to make a supplication to allah he's about to make dua to allah and they all got quiet everybody was laughing up until this point but then they all got so quiet Subhanallah, as if some something took over them. And then Allah, the Prophet ﷺ started making dua against every single one of them by name. By name. And guess what? All those who were present died right away. Not, not, not at the moment. Uh, like a few years after, uh, in the first battle uh, between the Muslims and the people of Mecca, the first official war, uh, called the Battle of Badr, they all died. Everybody that Prophet made dua against, some, many survived, except for those, of course, many died and many survived, but those who the Prophet made dua against all died in the beginning of the battle. Again, there were multiple assassination attempts on the life of the Prophet. They tried to kill him multiple times when he would go to pray. Again, the Prophet on his way to pray one time, um, he made wudu. Uh, and he made dua that Allah would protect him. They were waiting for him in, in one of the alleys, and then they had their swords ready to, you know, assassinate him. But then they froze. They couldn't even move a muscle. They were aware of everything. They just couldn't move. And the Prophet ﷺ looked at them, got some sand from, you know, grabbed some sand, and threw it on their faces and said, Shahatul Wuju, meaning, may the, those first faces be cursed. And the same people also died in the same battle. You can't go kill a prophet or a messenger of Allah because you don't agree with them. You can't kill anybody, period, because you don't agree with them. So basically, that was uh, a summary of uh, the amount of torture and persecutions that the Prophet ﷺ and the early Muslims uh, have endured against their own people. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy on, uh, on us uh, where what we're facing right now is nothing compared to what they are facing, but there's always a wisdom, my dear brothers and sisters, of 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 uh, being patient when it comes to suffering for being a Muslim. Uh, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala could have easily made none of this happen. Allah could have made their lives a lot easier. None of them would have been harmed. The Prophet ﷺ himself was physically tortured. Allah could have prevented all this, and Allah prevented it in many times, but for certain times, Allah allowed it to happen. Why? And that's the ultimate question. A lot of people ask, why does Allah allow evil in the world? Remember? We'll talk we'll tackle that when it comes to the when we get to the subject of destiny, inshallah, uh, after we're finishing after we finish the summary of the life of the Prophet. Uh, but for now, why does Allah allow this? Well, number one, we're not created to have uh, some luxury life. In the Quran, Allah says, I created mankind to struggle, to strive. Why? Because this is not Jannah. This is not paradise. The world is cruel. This is not paradise. Paradise is different. Paradise is different. So you can appreciate paradise. Number two is paradise is expensive. Allah says, my what I'm offering you is extremely expensive. It's the most expensive thing in existence, which is paradise. Eternity in paradise. What else do you want? You know? No hardship. 
No work, no struggle, no mental depression, nothing. The best of the best of the best. That will, that's what we'll experience in paradise. So it is expensive. You know when, you're, uh, when you want a new car or you want to buy a new house, you suffer a lot and you take a lot to be able to get that money, to be able to pay for what you want to get. If it's something that you really want, right? You wouldn't care the amount of suffering that you would endure or, you know, how would you, you know, how painful it would be, how exhausting and tiring it would be. Now we're talking about paradise, Jannah, which is more expensive than any of these things. Also, the Prophet ﷺ and the early companions, the early uh, Muslims, they endure this and they're, because they're clearly in a different status than us. They will have special rewards that none of us will get because none of us had to endure any of this. They had to endure any of this to spread the message of Islam that you and me are sitting here right now talking about and learning and gaining knowledge about. It's because of them and their suffering. That's why they are in a different, different status than us. Way higher status. Way higher status in Jannah. Way higher status in Paradise. They will be rewarded totally differently. That doesn't mean that we're going to, inshallah, be rewarded less. No, no, no. I'm just saying they are on a different level because Allah is fair. Life is a test, it won't be a walk in the park. Just be patient, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. Uh, thank you so much for listening, uh, and, and uh, I really appreciate uh, uh, you know, uh, your taking your time uh, to listen to the podcast. Uh, until the next episode, thank you so much. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.